This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as proud as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of every best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. To listen to tonight's full interview, go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately and will have access to all of our material. And to get in touch with us, for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And tonight we're discussing the moon with our special guest, Louis Proud, writer and researcher specializing in paranormal and occult phenomena. Since childhood, Louis has been on a path of inner exploration. It became apparent to him that reality is not what it is. His work has appeared in Fate, New Dawn, Paranormal, and Nexus magazines. His first book, Dark Intrusions, an investigation into the paranormal nature of sleep paralysis experiences, as published in 2009. And tonight, we'll discuss his most recent work, titled The Secret Influence of the Moon, Alien Origins on Occult Powers. And to learn more about Louis Proud and his work, visit his website at louisproud.net, which is also linked at ours. And directly from Darwin Northern Territory, Australia, I would like to introduce Louis Proud. Hello, Louis, and welcome to Veritas. Uh, hey, Mel. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, and congratulations on the new book, The Secret Influence of the Moon. You know, Louis, the moon, 
It's the perfect platform for surveillance, far enough and disconnected enough for the all-seeing eye to watch over us. What motivated you to research the moon and, and write this book? Well, I've, I've always been had an interest in the moon and, uh, you know, in particular, some of the, uh, the stranger aspects of the moon. Oh, you know, like I was very inspired by, um, oh, like Jim Mars's book, Alien Agenda, where he discusses the, the spaceship moon theory, the possibility that the moon has artificial characteristics, as I like to refer to them. So reading books like that, it really kind of stirred my imagination. And, and of course, uh, I wanted to look into these mysteries, the spaceship moon theory and stuff like that, and really kind of, because uh, I know that quite a few authors have um, uh, maybe not sort of delved into it too much, or some of the information that they've presented is outdated. So I thought I'd sort of really do some in-depth research and try and really look into some of these mysteries, such as the spaceship moon theory, and explore all that, try and put it all together and create a, I guess, a, a sort of a clearer picture of, of the moon, I suppose. Certainly, when you say spaceship moon, that theory, I don't think there's one single listener of ours that yep. perhaps doesn't think about that. When you look up at the moon, and in one face faces us all the time, and I used to think that, that, that the moon, our moon, was the only one that behaved that way, but no, there's another moon, and we'll discuss that later, in another of our planets that uh, behaves the same way. But it's been over 40 years, Louis, since man allegedly, and I have to use the word allegedly because I was not there, I'm not going to deny or say that we went to the moon, but allegedly walked on the moon for the first time. Why hasn't the moon been colonized? Uh, why do we stop going, in your opinion? That's a good question. Um, certainly, that's something that a lot of people think about. It's really very difficult to answer. I mean, um, it seems as though um, NASA is very reluctant to put astronauts back on the moon. They've just been sending probes and, and so on. So it, it does seem as though um, the moon is kind of off limits, I suppose. It's, it's very difficult to answer this, this question. I mean, it's, it's possible that in the field of UFOlogy, there are theories that you know, the astronauts had encounters with UFOs and so on. When they visited the moon, of course, these stories are hard to confirm, but that's possible as well, that they were kind of warned off the moon and um, told that it's out of limits, so to speak. I had a conversation with, um, you referred to Richard C. Hoagland on the book, but I had a yep. conversation with uh, Jay Whitener a couple of years ago, mm. and we were discussing the moon. And he said that he and Richard were working on a project, a private project. They were going to send a, a rocket to the moon with 3D cameras. You probably have heard about this story and how, you know, their, their attorney who used to work for NASA called NASA just to clear things out to make sure that they had the, the blessing. And then uh, basically when he called, they, they said, uh, you're not going to the moon if you try to, to launch a rocket. We'll, we'll shoot it down, and don't ever call me again. Now, isn't that strange? Have you heard about this story before? No, I, I must admit I haven't. It certainly makes sense, you know, considering, as you said, we haven't been there in 40 years. And, of course, a lot of the images that placed in the, in the public domain by NASA are um, 
course, as, as Richard Hoagland states in, in his books, it looks as though some of these images have been tampered with and that certain features on the surface have been edited out. You know, he refers to such things as uh, fragments of lunar glass dome and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, certainly a lot of this stuff is very intriguing. It does seem as though NASA did discover certain things on the moon that, that they didn't want the public to know about. So there is a lot of secrecy surrounding the moon, NASA's discoveries regarding the moon. That's that's for sure. I always think that when I look at at the moon and the fact that we haven't been there for so long, for decades, it just does not make sense to me. I'm wearing a Casio calculator watch that carries more computer power than even the Apollo 17, the last one. And you think it's 30, 40 years since, since that time, and we haven't been able to go back. We have to always look at, a, at another place to go in order to preserve the human race. And what a perfect place for practice, the moon. Having a few bases there, practice to go perhaps to, to Mars, which is our closest neighbor. And the fact that the Chinese are taking the lead now. And honestly, I've received a lot of email from people asking me, Mel, do you think that the footage the Chinese are showing us is real? And of course, I, I, I can confirm that. I wouldn't doubt it if they're they're bluffing us as well. What is your yep. take on, on China taking the lead now on the moon? The soft landing recently, yeah. Um, it was a robotic probe, if, if my memory serves me correctly. I haven't really looked into this too much because it doesn't seem that remarkable, I suppose. They haven't put astronauts on the moon. I'd be a lot more impressed with that. I guess that's the sort of the safe way to go about it, isn't it? Although the footage, the footage uh, that they're showing us seems to have color, we always saw the gray palette that the, the moon had, even with the alleged color pictures that we were shown. Now, the Chinese, yep. I mean, th this looks more like, like Mars in a way, uh, the, the, the orangey kind of a feel. So it just makes you wonder who is right, who is lying. Now, what is uh, your insect moon theory? That's a, it's a interesting. What is it? Basically, that was just when I was a child. I um, The moon to me seemed to resemble a kind of clay sort of wasp nest. I had all these ideas about the moon that it was kind of a sort of an artificial world, I suppose. So I guess that, that idea has always stayed with me, that there is something very strange about the moon, that it doesn't seem completely natural. Of course, I, I'm not saying that the moon is. This was just an idea that I had as a, as a child, you know, because I guess all children take some kind of interest in the moon and question the moon and so on. Of course, we're all told that, that there is nothing mysterious about the moon, that it's just this kind of dead rock that orbits the earth. But as I show in the book, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. There are some incredible mysteries surrounding the moon. Now, the question that you and I and our listeners have always had is why do we see only one side of the moon? This has got to do with um, the moon being in synchronous rotation with the earth and there's nothing really that mysterious about it it's just got to do with the fact that the moon spins on its axis every 27.3 days we refer to this as a sidereal month and this is the same period of time that it takes to 
revolve around the Earth. So this is referred to as synchronous rotation. So there's always going to be one side of the moon that's hidden from Earth. We refer to that as the um, the moon's uh, far side. And of course, the side that we can see is, is the near side. But of course, the, the period that we see two new moons or two, two full moons is 29.3 days, and that's a synodic month. So that relates to the phases of the moon. And that's got to do with the fact that as the moon is orbiting Earth, the Earth is also orbiting the sun. It's a little bit difficult to explain here, but there's nothing really mysterious about synchronous rotation. If I'm right here, I think uh, one of Mars's moons, Phobos, I think that's in synchronous rotation with Mars. So, but of course, with Phobos, there was an idea that that may be a um, artificial satellite as well. So who knows? Maybe it is a mysterious feature of the moon. I'm not really sure about that, but there's a big question mark surrounding that one. Yes, that was the other object in uh, or satellite in our solar system that behaves like the moon. In in that regard alone, in the in the in the rotate in the way that we only see one moon. I'm I'm not uh, one side. I'm not an astronomer, but I wonder. And I do have a a friend astronomer here at the University of Arizona. I'm going to be speaking with soon to ask if he has seen other moons in other places outside of our solar system that behave like our moon. Because, yes, it may not be mysterious, but if we don't see the same pattern happening elsewhere, then it really makes you wonder. And the fact that Mars is our closest neighbor, you know, I wonder if there's a correlation there. Uh, Do you know of any other object outside of our solar system or maybe even inside our solar system that behaves like our moon? No, I mean, it is incredibly mysterious. I mean, the fact that it's so large, for example, it's actually the largest moon in the solar system relative to the size of its host planet, host planet, i.e. Earth. And of course, Earth is the only planet that has exactly one moon. And really, I, I kind of, and some scientists tend to view the moon as Earth's double planet rather than a moon. That sort of makes more sense to me, that model, seeing it, the Earth and the moon as a double planet system rather than a planet satellite system as i said it is it is unusually large and of course out of the the terrestrial planets which are you know mercury venus earth and mars mars and earth are the only two that actually have moons and mars's two moons are actually phobos and deimos they're called are actually very very small so it just doesn't fit within the solar system it's just a very unusual thing the fact that earth has this very very large moon yeah it's a quarter the size of of the earth and there's some other anomalies we'll continue discussing but you mentioned this sidereal month which is the orbital time period that the moon goes around the earth it's 27.3 days as you said and it's also interesting and i'm not sure you i don't think you discussed this at all in the book but i thought i mentioned it it's interesting that the average menstrual cycle for women, of course, is 28 days. I wonder if the moon has any influence of the menstrual, on the menstrual cycle. And the reason why I mention this is because they say that the oceans are affected by the moon. Since we're mostly water, and we, women are water, if there's a correlation between the existence of the moon and the menstrual cycle. Have you ever looked into this? 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's something I I look at in the book, and it is. I think it's certainly more than a coincidence. I I don't see it. Uh, of course, this was this idea was was explored a lot by um in in the book The Lunar Effect by a, a psychologist called Arnold L. Lieber. A lot of people, I'm sure, many of the listeners have heard of this book or read it, and he believed that because the body is is seventy percent water around 70% water that you know it affects the human body in a similar fashion to the earth affecting the ocean he referred to this as the as his biological tides theory but of course you got to take into consideration that the gravitational effect of the moon on a single human being is is only very very slight and you also got to realize that the Water was in the human body is bounded. It's contained within our cells. It's not sort of sloshing around. So it, you can't really compare the water in the body to the Earth's ocean. As I stated in the book, it's it really seems to be a um, a geomagnetic influence that we're talking about here. I, I think it can be better explained using that model, not this biological tides theory that Arnold Lieber proposes in his work. As I state in the book, it's it's got to do with the fact that as the moon is orbiting Earth, it's actually changing the properties of the Earth's magnetic field because there's very good evidence that um, we're affected by geomagnetic influences during solar storms, for example, which disrupts the geomagnetic field, causes a disturbance in the geomagnetic field there's good evidence that we respond to those changes, like on a hormonal level, for example. So I, I think this this makes sense using a geomagnetic model or electromagnetic model, if you like, because you've got to understand that the human body is an electromagnetic machine. There's good evidence that our brains actually contain particles of magnetite and that uh, possibly there are particles of magnetite in the ethmoid bone as well. So, And that our ancestors were very skilled at using the geomagnetic field for navigational purposes. There seems to be an ability that we've lost over time, but it's still there because a lot of studies have been carried out in this area which show that we can actually navigate using the Earth's magnetic field. So we clearly do respond to those changes in the, uh, the the magnetic field of the Earth. So when the moon orbits the Earth and produces these changes, then um, clearly we're responding to those. So, so I think that more clearly explains how we uh, respond to the moon's phases and so on, the activity of the moon. So it seems very obvious to me that, that yeah, I mean, we know for a fact that uh, the activity of the sun affects people on Earth, so it makes sense that the activity of the moon also plays into that as well. I've always wondered, uh, Louis, you know, this is a question I've always had, what would happen to planet Earth if all of a sudden you and I woke up in the morning and the moon wasn't there? What would change on the planet and on, on, on the living beings here if the moon wasn't there? Have you pondered that? Yes. You've got to realize that the the moon actually keeps Earth stable in its orbit. So the moon does have a supportive effect on the Earth, on life on Earth. And 
if the moon wasn't there keeping the Earth stable in its orbit, then um, the Earth would be sort of swinging all over the place, and certainly the climate would be very much affected by that. So the moon does have a nurturing effect on life on Earth. Uh, there's no doubt about that, and there is. It's been suggested that perhaps if the moon wasn't there, there would be no life on Earth. That conditions would be too harsh on Earth. That we wouldn't have the um, the climate that we have. So that's true. Yeah, the moon is is very very important to the existence of life on Earth. But possibly if the moon had not been there at all, there was no moon. Possibly there would still be life on Earth, but it would be life of a very different kind. We would have evolved in a very different manner. So I do often ponder this theory, and I wonder what life would have, what would have become of us had there not been a moon. Would we be a, a totally different species, maybe even a superior species, because we would have had to deal with more like harsher conditions, I suppose. More adversity. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And there are two planets, we mentioned this before, two planets in our solar system without moons, and that's, uh, again, Mercury and Venus. The rest have multiple moons. This is another unique, you know, we're talking about the uniqueness. Earth is the only planet in our solar system with exactly one moon. Again, have you looked into other planets outside of our solar system that only have one moon? Because I always hear no moons or two or more moons. We used to think that, that there were actually nine planets in the solar system, but of course Pluto is now classified as a dwarf planet. Yep. And if my memory serves me correctly, it actually has a, a, moon. Um, a moon, yes. But uh, as I said, yeah, it's not classified as, as a planet, so it's classified as a dwarf planet. But of course, yeah, this brings us back to the fact that, as I said before, it's, it's easier to explain the existence of the moon if you see the Earth and the moon as a, double, as a double planet system. But yeah, it is a very strange thing to find within the solar system. Uh, the moon is, a, is very much an oddity, that's, that's for sure. And it's interesting, this is the first time I've ever heard somebody say that, and this makes a lot of sense, being that it's one quarter the size of, of planet Earth. You know, what if this were a planet that was, you know, orbiting around the planet? But just like we have two suns, mostly if you look at other galaxies, I mean, on, on other solar systems, usually they have a, it's a binary uh, system. And this is, this is beyond the scope of your book. I just wanted to, to get your take on this. There's a story of Nibiru, Planet X, Wormwood, you name it. Do you lend credence to uh, our solar system has having a binary uh, star or, 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 or a sun's brother, if you will? Gosh, this definitely is outside the, uh, the scope of my book. Hard to answer that question. You're talking about the solar system having... Two suns or something? Correct, correct. Some people speculate that all, all solar systems, or the majority of them, have yep. a binary star. And this binary star comes along via an elliptical orbit every, every 3,600 years. I don't know what to say with that question. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fine. I won't put you on yep. the spot. But here's a, another remarkable coincidence that we discuss here all the time. Why does the sun and the moon why do they appear the same size from Earth, especially when we're looking at an eclipse? They look exactly the same size. 
It's got to do with the fact the sun is around 400 times the size of the moon, and it's about 100 times the size of Earth. And the sun and the Earth are separated by a, a mean distance of around 39 million miles, which is 400 times greater than the mean distance between the Earth and the moon. So I know that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but it, it explains why, from an earthly perspective, the moon and the sun seem about the same size. And um, during a, a solar eclipse, for example, the moon completely covers the disk of the sun. So this is an amazing coincidence. But of course, you've also got to take into consideration that um, at one point, the moon was a lot closer to Earth. And because of tidal friction, it's actually been gradually receding from Earth. So in time, it'll be so far from Earth that I guess it will be perceived as being a different size to the sun. But certainly at this point in history, yeah, they do appear very much to be the same size from an earthly perspective. So I know that in that book, Who Built the Moon, I think it's called, this is very much explored uh, by the authors. It's not something I really look into too much in the book because we see many of these amazing coincidences in nature, and I don't attach particular importance uh, to this coincidence. I mean, um, if you look around you, you'll find that everything seems to be amazingly designed. Nature is just incredible, mind-blowing. And, um, you know, I think it would be a mistake to, to attach particular importance to this, the fact, what we've been discussing, the moon and the earth being seen as pretty much the same size from an earthly perspective. Everything in nature seems to be very much designed, I suppose. I'm not saying that there was some supreme being that designed all this or anything like that, but it's, it's just incredible. When you look around you, you see a lot of these amazing so-called coincidences. But, of course, in the book Who Built the Moon, they do attach particular importance to this. Uh, but it's not something I really explore in the moon because... It's not something I really explore in the book. So I think there are much more incredible features regarding the moon that deserve to be looked at closely. I hope that answers your question. Sure. Somebody years ago, and of course, this is this is this could be speculation. I don't have any evidence to to support this theory, but the moon, according to this person, is an escape pod. Just imagine if if the Earth was going to have a cataclysmic event as we've had many times in the past, a live extinction event. If the moon were an escape pod or a starship as some you know call it, it would be the perfect place to to do that. I mean if it has a you know a, a, a very thin atmosphere and also some people speculate that the moon is like a, an egg without the interior of the egg. In other words it's it's hollow and who knows what may be under uh, the moon. Well, let's talk about something that many people question, the absence of stars in Apollo photography. Many people say that we didn't go to the moon because of that. Why can't we see the stars? Well, it's, it's apparently, this is the official explanation that's got to do is the fact that the lunar surface is quite reflective and that because of that glare, you can't see the stars in the sky when they take photographs. But that explanation does make sense to me. If the lunar surface is reflecting a fair bit of light, then you're not going to notice the stars in the sky. And I do believe that we did actually put 
astronauts on the moon and that some of at least some of the footage that has been presented to the public and some of the photographs are genuine it's also possible that some of this footage some of the photographs were taken inside a studio or something like that you mean stanley kubrick's studio yeah that <laughs> that whole idea which is not really a, an idea that i look at in the book but there's no doubt in my mind that astronauts did walk on the lunar surface of course some of the footage some of the photographs could have been modified in some fashion could have been faked of course nasa has always wanted to present the moon in a particular way they've always wanted us to believe that the moon is a dead world and that there's nothing of interest on the moon right so there seems to be this I guess a sort of a sort of program, if you like, that's been put in place to try and convince the public that the moon is, is of absolutely no interest, and, and that's the attitude that most people have of the moon. They think, you know, it's a, a dead world and that it's completely boring. But in fact, that's the opposite is the case. Just reading a book on astronomy, the information that's presented on the moon is just absolutely fascinating. I mean, there's just uh, It's such a rich and very much alive world. It's it's not dead at all. There's a number of very interesting things that happen on the moon, and you know we're talking about such things as electrostatic activity, for example, because during the time of the full moon, the the moon actually passes through the Earth's magnetotail because the Earth has a, a magnetosphere, and this is the the sort of cavity that's carved out by the solar wind from the sun these charged particles strike the earth's magnetic field and then it creates this teardrop shaped region called the magnetosphere and during the time of the full moon the, the moon actually passes through the earth's magnetosphere and the moon becomes very highly charged um, as i said we're talking about electrostatic activity and it seems that in particular the far side of the moon builds up a very strong charge and um Of course, when the astronauts visited the moon, they weren't there during the time of the full moon because we know that uh, it would be quite dangerous to be on the moon at that time due to all the electrostatic activity. And there's an idea that craters actually become highly charged as well, that they build up an accumulation of electrons. And if an astronaut was to explore one of these craters, they would actually be shocked or something like that. They'd receive a, a shock and could be fatal. It's just all these amazing things about the moon. And astronauts have commented on the fact that, you know, when you view the lunar surface from different angles, it takes on different colors and so on. So the moon is not completely gray. It's got um, many different shades. It's got many different colors. And as I said, it's a very interesting world. It's not We seem to think of the moon in completely earthly terms. We seem to think of it as kind of part of the earth, I suppose. But as I show in the book, it's it's a world unto itself. And there's a lot to explore there. And a lot of fascinating discoveries have been made. We're always told that Mars is, of course, cooler than the earth because it's farther from the sun. And yep. that Venus, of course, is super hot. It can melt lead. Yep. It's about 872 degrees Fahrenheit or 467 Celsius. Yet, the Russians sent a probe there with parachutes. Now, how in the world would a probe survive 
landing on Venus, even the parachutes. I haven't done much research into Venus, but yeah, that does strike me as very odd. It's supposed to have a, an atmosphere that's uh, made up of what sulfuric acid or, or right. something. It's supposed to um, supposed to be an incredibly hostile world, and as you said, incredibly hot. So yeah, I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, once again, we um, because we're not the ones sending these probes, are we? So. We have to sort of trust what NASA says, but it's very difficult to trust what they say. Because we never get a straight answer. Yeah, exactly. Never a straight answer. That's uh, <laughs> what NASA stands for. But I, I can't comment on Venus, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. But I, I was just thinking, you know, during pre-Columbian times, how many people, aside from Columbus, how many people probably suspected that there was more to planet Earth than what we were led to believe. How many, how many sailors around Europe said, you know, I really would like to go over there, but they were told, no, if you go over there, you're going to fall from the cliff because the Earth is flat, or you're going to encounter dragons and monsters. And it kept people from looking there, kept people where they are. I wonder yeah. if the same thing happens with the moon, happens with Mars, happens with Venus, don't go over there. Don't spend your money, taxpayers in the United States or Europe or China or Japan or India or whoever wants to go to, to see that because they want to keep us here so we don't find out that they are different. Have you pondered that as well? Yeah, I have, certainly. Um, as I said, with my research on the moon, I've discovered many fascinating things about the moon that I, I never knew because when I was taught about the moon in school, it seemed so incredibly boring um, as like this sort of a dead rock. And I was made to believe that there was just nothing of interest on the moon. But of course, we're in such a position that we have to rely on what NASA tells us about the moon. And a lot of that information seems to be false, which is a great shame. It seems as though a lot is being kept from the public regarding the moon. As I said, it's, it seems to be a much richer world than what we're made to believe certainly yeah i mean who knows what does nasa discovered there that they haven't disclosed to the public i'm thinking of how nasa survives on, on you know taxpayers we have to subsidize that right i wonder with with the advent of of technology of the internet of crowdfunding if a consortium of 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 companies may get together and propose something to the general public, not in the United States. This will be a, a earthwide project where people would benefit. You send a probe over, over there and film and maybe even what exactly what Jay Widener and, and Richard Hoekland were were mentioning. You know, take take something out there, make it a movie. And I'm pretty sure that it could be financed by the people. But apparently yeah. they are not allowed. Every time somebody starts doing this, they are antagonized or even forbidden from doing that? I guess in order for that to, to be possible, in order for that to happen, for the public to actually send a probe to the moon to do something independently of NASA, independently of the government, society would have to change itself, wouldn't it? I mean, we need to be living in a very different world because obviously people always, we're kind of... Um, in such a state where we're in such a state where we would never even think of doing something like that. 
I, I guess I can't see it happening at this point in human history. Take a look five years ago. There were some children, well, I'm going to say children, but there were, you know, youngsters, uh, college, young college students in Spain that photographed the planet. And they used a helium balloon, a digital camera, and the entire project, and GPS, and the entire project cost about, I think it was seven to $900. When the same type of images from a NASA satellite would have cost millions of dollars. So if you have a bunch of, 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 of young students that can do such a thing, imagine what you could do if you put the minds of the people together. Again, like I said, I don't want this to be only the United States, but you know, more, more people around the world to get together, a brain tech, and go from there. This is very doable. But again, I don't want to deviate from, from the book because it's, your book is a fascinating one. You mentioned rich and alive world. I'm still a little, little bit unclear as to what you mean by rich and alive world. You've got to look at uh, such things as transient lunar phenomena, which is the fact that, you know, for hundreds of years, astronomers, this is since the invention of the telescope, astronomers have made some amazing sightings of things on the lunar surface involving lights and shadows and things like that. So we're talking about these mysterious events on the lunar surface, and this seems to suggest that there's a lot more going on on the moon than, um, than what most people would think. And of course, some of these events, these transient lunus, luminous phenomena can be explained due to natural processes. I don't necessarily look at these events in terms of sort of UFO activity or anything like that, but uh, a lot of these events can be explained due to natural processes. And as I said, there seems to be a lot of electrostatic activity on the moon. And according to one scientist, many of these events can be explained by sunlight reflecting off rising plumes of electrostatically lofted lunar dust. So we seems to be the case that because of this electrostatic activity that it creates clouds of dust that uh, move across the surface of the moon. So I find this very interesting. And I also talked about the fact that some of the moon's craters are electrified, possibly. I describe the moon as a rich, fascinating world, just, just as alive as Earth. And you've also look at the uh, the moon's magnetic field as well. Of course, we know that the moon once had a, a magnetic field, a global magnetic field, similar to what Earth has today. And this was generated by means of a, a churning molten core, a, a dynamo, as it's called. And we know that this dynamo was active for hundreds of millions of years, but then something happened where this dynamo shut down and the moon today only has patches of magnetism here and there, patches of remnant magnetism. So I find it really fascinating that the moon did have a magnetic field very early in its history. And obviously, this magnetic field would have, in fact, protected the moon from the solar wind as well, these charged particles that come from the sun. So that's very interesting. And I guess speaking more about the moon's magnetic field, the fact that it was shut down, apparently because the moon was closer to Earth in the past, it's possible that this gravitational influence that was happening, um, that the 
that that was actually um, stimulating the, the moon's dynamo and actually producing this magnetic field. So when we look at things like that, you know, it makes us think of the moon as a world separate to Earth, as a world in its own right, and as very much a, an alive world, I suppose. I mean, it's true that this magnetic field did shut down, but there are still patches of, of remnant magnetism. And where these patches exist, there are what are known as lunar swirls. And they're called swirls because they resemble milk poured into coffee. Uh, these swirling white features. And it looks as though they're um, exposed silicate materials are actually preserved, protected by those patches of magnetism as well. And, and, and of course, as I said too, there's, there's a lot more color on the lunar surface. We know that the astronauts actually found these volcanic glass bubbles, these colored glass bubbles, these or glass beads as they're sometimes called. And these are actually various colors, uh, green and red, for example. And when they collected these glass bubbles, they, well, they recently analyzed them and discovered that they contain melt inclusions, which are these uh, tiny globules of magma encased within solid crystal. And they analyzed them and discovered that actually they contain a fair bit of water and actually terrestrial levels of water. So uh, the moon's mantle is actually... Um, contains as much water as the Earth's mantle, which is, again, very mysterious because we're led to believe that the moon is a completely dry world, when in fact, this discovery totally contradicts that. And that is the one element that we need in order to establish a base. The establishment of a base, well, yeah, lunar uh, frozen water. We know that the moon stays com almost completely upright as it, as it rotates. There are regions at the poles, craters, that inside those craters, it's completely dark. It's um, completely shaded from the sun. So we know that these regions uh, contain frozen water and that it's because these regions are very, very cold because they're not exposed to the sun. And it's true that, yeah, NASA has detected water on the moon inside these craters at the poles. And so that's very interesting. Of course, the official explanation is, this is, is that this has got something to do with uh, comets striking the surface of the moon and then um, creating a cloud of moisture, which then collected in those craters at, at, at the poles. But you see, about this dust mystery, because it is definitely mysterious, the dust not only coats the moon's surface, but it floats up to 60 miles above it as part of its uh, exosphere. And the question is, if there's no wind to form and sustain the clouds, then this is very mysterious. Oh, okay. So you're talking about the um, the clouds of dust. That's right. The if there's no wind, how in the world are those clouds forming? Well, I think it, it really has to do with electrostatic activity and the fact that, as I said, the, um, the moon has next to no atmosphere and it's it's exposed to the full force of the solar wind these charged particles that come from the sun so i i think that has to do with yeah as i said electrostatic activity on the moon but of course the moon does have an atmosphere of sorts it's just very very thin 
No, no, the moon is a very small world, and it's thought that the moon is too, has too small a gravitational pull to hold on to an atmosphere, but it's possible that the moon had a magnetic field. It's possible that maybe it did have some kind of atmosphere that was you know, more substantial than what it has today. Let me stop you there for a second about the gravitational force, which should be about one-sixth, correct? Oh, okay, compared to Earth. Compared yep. to Earth. Yep. That would make me, let's say, 172 pounds. My weight on the moon would be 28.6 pounds. Now, but let me go back to Stanley Kubrick, 2001 Space Odyssey, when this is featured before we allegedly went to the moon, and they showed us the gravity of the moon, or you see how instead we see these people in slow motion. We see Neil Armstrong walking in slow motion. Now, yeah. if the gravity is one-sixth off the Earth, shouldn't he be going six times faster and the jumps would be six times higher than what we see as opposed to slower? So it's true that, that you do weigh less on the moon. Your, your mass is still the same because that relates to gravity, but your weight is less on the moon. So your your mass is independent of gravity. Your weight relates to gravity. So right, we do know that yeah, that the, the moon has a, a much smaller uh, gravitational pull compared to Earth. So what I'm saying is, if you're running like the astronauts were, instead of them looking like the bionic man in slow motion, shouldn't we be seeing them much much faster? Oh, okay. Gosh, <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to answer this question. I mean, it's 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 obvious that the the astronauts, uh, as you saw in the footage, they're able to leap great distances and things like that. There being less gravity on the surface of the moon compared to Earth. But yeah, I I'm not not really familiar with what what you just said. I I haven't really kind of looked into the idea that um, this footage was faked or whatever. I, I think that's certainly possible. Is just saying it's not convincing to me, even with my limited knowledge of physics. If you look at the one six at the one six gravity, then it would be much different instead of looking like slow motion. What it really looks like is that they yeah. slowed the footage one six. And they think that people, because they watched 2001 Space Odyssey, that's exactly what they did. When they do the mm. slow motion, they reduced the footage by one six. So if yep. people saw it in the movie, then we saw it in real life, so it must be true. Now, let me ask you about something that many people continue to ask, and I still ask all the time, the Clementine mission, you know, a moon mapping mission. It was uh, a joint venture between NASA and uh, the Strategic Defense Initiative Organization, and the purpose was, again, scientific and militaristic. But Louis... Judging by the fact that we've only seen less than 10% of the images, one may speculate that it was mostly militaristic. What do you know about Clementine? It's something I briefly discuss in the book. Yeah, it relates to the detection of water at the uh, moon's poles. That was one of the purposes of Clementine. So, yeah, it was uh, actually to detect hydrogen which would indicate the presence of water but yeah so you're asking about um the fact that this mission was partly mi militaristic 
yeah, I mean, we, we know that um, NASA is, isn't completely a civilian agency, that many of its goals are militaristic in nature. Um, there's, there's no doubt about that. Pretty much everything they do has some kind of militaristic purpose. Of course, we're never really told the full story with these missions. And with uh, Clementine, it was actually a joint venture between NASA and the U.S. Strategic Defense Initiative Organization. So did you want me to comment on that mission specifically, or um, you wanted me to talk more about the fact that NASA is not a wholly civilian agency? (laughs) <laughs> no, well, I knew that, and I think most people listening to us know that as well. As a matter of fact, it's a branch of the Department of Defense, and part of the charter is that if they ever find something, let's say they find a pyramid on the moon or something that should not be there, they have to go through the Department of Defense before they can release it to the public. So when people think of NASA being a civilian entity, think again. But the main reason why I'm asking you about Clementine is because they allegedly took about 1.8 million images, and they've only released a small fraction of that. Why? I think it really does relate to certain things being discovered on the lunar surface that were supposed to have been kept from the public. Of course, it's very hard to determine that. Yeah, certainly there is a lot of footage, a lot of photographs that have been kept from the public. And yeah, not all of these images, not all of this footage has been released to the public. There's there's, there's no doubt about that. And even during the, the Apollo mission, let's say Apollo 11, you would think that such a momentous event in the history of, of, of humankind, that you would send the clearest pictures that you possibly could to planet Earth. Instead, they transmit it Two of, of, you know, there were two feeds, one going to where you are in Australia and another one going to Palo Alto. And then they would be rebroadcast to a studio. They would be shown on a black and white TV. And from that black and white TV, a studio camera would be filming the TV. And this is what we saw around the world. Do you ever wonder why that happened? It's true that the... You know, the quality of the footage, the quality of the photographs was very poor. And I know that Richard Hoagland, in his book Dark Mission, co-authored with Mike Barry, they talk about, they said it was actually possible for this footage to have been in color. And that NASA made sure that the footage was black and white, clearly so that it would obscure certain features of the moon. There'd be a lot less that we can perceive with those images. So I think it really does relate to that. There does seem to be an effort to sort of downgrade these on on the part of NASA to downgrade these images before they're viewed by the general public. There's, there's no doubt about that at all. Now, have you discussed, I'm not sure if you discussed the Aristarchus crater in your book, do you? I think that's mentioned briefly. You're referring to, uh, the transient lunar lunar phenomena that occurs in Aristarchus Crater. Yes, as, as I said, that there, there seems to be a lot more color on the on the lunar surface than what we've been told to believe. But with Aristarchus Crater, it has been the site of a lot of transient lunar phenomena. 
So that that is interesting. But you're saying about the the crater taking on a sort of blue appearance. Okay, that, that, that's right. It, some people call it a blue gem or or maybe a fusion reactor. Oh, okay, right. Um, fusion reactor. So this is supposed to relate to the moon possibly being inhabited. Correct. Oh, okay. I I, I don't know. I when I think of the idea of the moon possibly being inhabited. I in, in my book I sort of focus more on the um what is beneath the surface rather than what is on the surface. Of course there could be um structures, ancient structures on the lunar surface. Once again that relates to Richard Hoagland's work and so on. But I think really the lunar interior is is what we need to focus on. I mean the very fact that the moon rings like a bell when heavy objects are dropped on its surface. Um, of course, NASA, during the Apollo missions, had seismometers on the surface of the moon where they measured, where they tested the moon's artificial quakes. So what they did is they triggered these artificial quakes and then analyzed the moon's seismic properties. Of course, this was um, supposed to be um, in order to learn more about the moon's internal structure. And I think this is really what we need to focus on is the moon's interior because if there is life on the moon if there is something inhabiting the moon today then i think it's going to be beneath the surface rather than on the surface yeah the moon's surface being such a, a hostile environment just like in mars yeah exactly yeah well the mars mars has actually lost its um magnetic field apparently it's similar to the moon in that um just has patches of remnant magnetism so its dynamo shut down as well apparently that was due to um meteorite impacts and, and things of that nature but yeah who knows maybe there is something dwelling beneath the martian surface as well as the lunar surface and very early on it was noticed that the moon has a density much smaller than earth's as well and there was speculation that this might have to do with the moon possibly being hollow. The moon's density is 3.4 grams per centimeter cubed, and the Earth's is 5.5 grams per centimeter cubed. And the moon is said to be very similar in density to the Earth's mantle. So the moon has a, a much smaller density compared to Earth, and there was speculation that this might mean that the moon is actually hollow. I explore the evidence for this in my book. I think there is very good evidence that the moon is hollow and not completely hollow, but partially hollow, that it contains vast hollow regions, possibly within the crust and the mantle as well. And really the only way to explain this characteristic of the moon is if it was produced by artificially. I was going to say, let me stop you here because we have to take a one and only break, but I want to end it right there for the first segment. If the the moon is hollow, that only means that it it must be artificial. And when we come back, we have so much more to discuss. I, I want to know something. People say, in space, no one can hear you scream. I want to know when we come back, you give me your answer. Could someone hear you scream on the moon? Also, you live in Australia. I want to know how different does the moon look from where you are, the southern hemisphere. I'm, the, I'm in the northern hemisphere. I want to see what the difference is also about the moon origins. 
There's much, much more to discuss when we come back. Now, how can people buy the secret influence of the moon, alien origins, and occult powers, Louis? Yep, it's, uh, it's it was published by Inner Traditions, and it's available on their website. You can order it directly from them. Of course, you can get it from Amazon as well, and Barnes and Noble, and all those bookshops. So, yeah, it's easy to obtain a copy of The Secret Influence of the Moon. Great. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with my special guest, Louis Proud, and we'll be talking more about the moon once we come back. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important interview. To listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com and subscribe. You will receive your login immediately. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back. Enjoy.
This is Dr. Courtney Brown, and you are listening to Veritas.